listening to Fox Sports Radio. Okay, so the easiest schedule of all. Could this be true? The Tampa Bay Bucks. Tom Brady, just by coincidence, <laughs> the easiest schedule. Number two, easiest, Denver Broncos. Huh, does Aaron Rodgers maybe think, hmm, that looks juicy. Number three, the Indy Colts. Let's start with these three, because I got something interesting on the Colts. McKenzie's back after a long break. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you check, um, why don't you throw up the Colts start of the season for me as we get started here? But first, Jonas, you're not a conspiracy guy, just coincidental Tampa Bay got a lot of breaks? Um. Yeah, I, I just think it's it's the way this goes. I also don't know how when people talk about easiest schedule is that just based on the 2020 records of these teams? Because well, well, you know that's a great question. If we were square, yeah, that would yeah. be the way we do it. Because I think I see a lot of people go that route to where they say, "Oh, well, so and so's got the most difficult schedule or the easiest schedule." And we know this about the NFL. Turnover happens in the NFL more so than any other league. So you can have you don't get the same playoff teams from one team from one year to the next in the NFL. So to use last year like I see a lot of people do as the barometer for whether or not you got a difficult schedule this year just doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, listen, here the people who do that, this is what happens. He's a janitor at a high school. <laughs> Has to take the bus to work every day. We don't do that. What we do is, and there's a couple ways to be a little more advanced. I think this is not the best way, but a good way is look at the win totals. And you just say, okay, so what's the win totals? It's the over-unders right now for season wins amongst the 17 regular season games now. And... You add those up, divide by 17, you're going to get an average win projection per team or per opponent, and then you could stack rank them that way. Here's the problem with that. And it's a small problem, which is win totals are affected by things like that team's strength of schedule. Also by things like buys or a tough beginning of the year and all the different other things that yesterday kind of revealed to us. I think what's better is if you have an elite power ranking, you're able to use the power ranking to say this is, in a vacuum, how good a team is. And then thus, you add up those power rankings, you're going to be uh, get a feel or, or get an objective measure of how good the teams are without considerations like strength of schedule or whatever. So, there's a couple. In, but for sure, something that is forward-looking, looking forward, not looking backwards, is the key. And almost 90-plus percent of the strength of schedule calculations you'll see will be about last year's record. And Jonas, as you said, I think quite accurately, uh, the NFL, the evolution, the ups and downs season to season in the NFL are quite severe, which we enjoy about it, but it means looking backwards is not the way to go. Yeah, it's like last year. If you saw the 49ers on your schedule, you thought to yourself, oh, man, we drew the 49ers. And then two weeks into the season, they were ravaged with injuries. Uh, They lost a bunch of star players. It was a revolving door quarterback, and they weren't the same team. Thus, they were picking as high as they were in the draft this year. And, I mean, if we want to look from last year, uh, entering the year, New England would have been an example that you would have had, if you look back, 12-4, and 
look forward, they would have been, you know, maybe nine, you know, almost nine wins, maybe 8.7. So let's take a second and talk about what we did find yesterday because we knew who the teams were going to play. We knew the 17 games because that's set by you're going to play in your division twice. That's three teams times two. Then you have a partner division in your conference, right? and you play all four of those teams, and that rotates. So every three years, you cycle through the other three divisions in your conference. Then you've got three or yeah, three other slots that are the same as your finish in the division. So if you have a number one schedule, as they say, a first place schedule, you're going to play the other three division first place. Now, since one of those is your partner, it's two additional games. So let's use, for example, the Washington football team. They won the division last year. So then they're going to play the number ones in all three of them in the NFC. But one of those is going to be because it's the partner division. And then you've got your partner division across the conference. You play those four. And you always hear things like, oh, they're playing the NFC East this year or whatever. And then finally, there's the 17th game, which is slotted to where you finished. And then with that partner, a second partner across conference, all of those games are home for the AFC this year. So we knew that before. And it does go to show you how important it is, and even more important, quite frankly, now, first-place schedule, second-place schedule, etc. You look at the Steelers. This is a team a lot of people are pessimistic on. A lot of people you know, started off 11-0, ended badly. Big Ben's getting older. Offensive line for the Steelers, questionable. A lot of question marks. Pouncey, center, retired, left tackle, out. So now, or moved on to the Ravens. I mean, listen, he's a veteran. It's going to be hard for me to get too mad, but still, I'm a little mad. <laughs> and then the thing about it was, he went after May 1, which means there's no compensatory picks associated with it. <laughs> Those Ravens are sneaky, Jones. Don't trust them. I'm RJ Bow straight out of Vegas. I don't know if sneaky or smart. It's kind of the same thing, but they are smart. But Pittsburgh now has to play Buffalo. They're going to have to play Kansas City. I mean, think about that. how much better it'd be to be the Ravens and play the, the, the Dolphins, the second-place team, and then uh, who was second in the West? I don't know. Was it the Raiders? Um, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, Cause, okay. Because Denver had less wins and Chargers had less wins. Right, yeah. okay. So you get the Raiders. So, I mean, think of that nightmare. Pittsburgh gets Buffalo and Kansas City because they had a first-place schedule, right? and Baltimore gets Miami and the Raiders. Yeah, I mean, sure. looking, at, looking at Pittsburgh's just early portion of their schedule, and, and we talk about this all the time, that if you get off to a rough start, if, you know, they talk about the 0-2 stat in the NFL, you know, how often do you make the playoffs if you start out the season 0-2? I mean, Pittsburgh's got, you mentioned it, they're at Buffalo week one, they've, they're at Green Bay if they've still got Aaron Rodgers, a road game against Cleveland is mixed in there, they got the Seahawks at home. Like, either way, they're going to play Aaron Rodgers seemingly in week four or week five, because <laughs> they're at the Packers, and then they host the Broncos. So they're going to draw Aaron Rodgers one way or the other. Speaking of that, we have the odds on that. So we're going to talk in a second about why we think maybe the Packers' schedule tells us something about where Rodgers is going to go. But the odds haven't really changed. Green Bay was minus 150 to stay. So saying a little bit better chance to stay. And same today. So no adjustment. So Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay is... Better than 50%, but not much better. 
And if traded, Denver is the favorite to land Rodgers at plus 150. So they're saying a little better than 50% that he stays. And if he does go a little better than or a little worse than 50%, he goes to Denver. Let's talk about these starts and how they can be important in a given situation. Last year, the Houston Texans, they started the season with Kansas City. They had a game against Baltimore, then a game against Pittsburgh. Now, the way Pittsburgh was playing, healthy, that is a tough beginning to the schedule. Tough. But the reality is, I believe Houston's entire season was affected by that. They were 0-3. They had a must-win game at home against Minnesota. They lost it. They should have won it. They lost it. They were beat up. O'Brien gets fired. And literally, what we see is the dominoes are still falling on that. You've got to wonder... They start with a little easier schedule. Does everything change? If the Texans start 2-1 and because the schedule was different, does everything change? I think it's very possible. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I just uh, That situation, once you fire your head coach, I don't know. I, I can't think of a time in the NFL where you fire your head coach and it's a rallying cry. Like You'll see it in the NHL sometimes. Like I can remember the Penguins made a fire midseason years and years ago. They brought in a new guy, and they went and made a Stanley Cup run because it was just the spark that they needed. In the NFL, you fire your head coach when you've exhausted all other options. You've tried everything. It's not working. And once they did that, it just felt like that was was the end of the road. And to me, I generally agree with you. It's a sign of desperation, but I think it's especially dangerous to fire your head coach if the infrastructure in the organization is shaky. Yeah. And remember, Houston's owner had recently passed away. His son was taken over. Obviously, the son hadn't much exp- didn't have much experience at such things. You add that in with uh, O'Brien as GM and the atrocity that that was. I mean, you got rid of your GM, and and again, you read the different articles and the uh, power vacuum that was there for Houston and the way that it was fought over seems to be what's driven a lot of the trouble since then. Uh, what's the chaplain's name that has taken a lot of power? Oh, a Jack Easterby. Yeah, I mean, you got to wonder if O'Brien's there, Easterby's there, he, maybe he's backbiting or whatever, yeah. but it's not like what we see now, which is a catastrophe. Houston Texans are as bad as any team in the last decade. You take, if you had a time machine and you take the worst teams of the last decade, I'm not sure the Texans aren't the worst of the bunch. So you went from a, a team that made the playoffs the year before last, and if I'm not mistaken, they beat well, they beat the Bills, right, in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Buffalo. So you have a team that advances to the division round that a year or nine months later loses three straight games, fire their head coach, the dominant. Now, first of all, if you make the playoffs like four of the last six years, like Houston has, and you start 0-3 against three of the toughest teams of the league, you don't usually get fired. Now, they did start 0-4, so there you go. But... I think O'Brien becoming GM put such a stink on him, they wanted to get rid of him. So then they get rid of him, and then everything tumbles down. So you could say going back to making him the GM was the mistake that started it all, but it got the, the lighter fluid was that 0 and 4 start.
Yeah, and there was a push, it felt like, publicly for a lot of people that, that couldn't separate the two, Bill O'Brien, the head coach, and Bill O'Brien, the GM, because the GM may have made some questionable moves. I thought he was a good head coach. I, I thought he had success. I, I, I still well, he think certainly he's, was. Yeah, I, I, I think he's going to get another opportunity down the road. And I think people just co- joined both of those, said, oh, GM and coach, both have got to go, when the reality was he may have made a couple of questionable decisions as a GM, but not so much as a coach. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. So, RJ, the NFL schedules are out. The full schedules released last night, and one team that you've identified with a quarterback that you are not very fond of has a difficult opening to start next season. Now, this is not Carolina, and I'm not even sure if I'm not fond of this quarterback. I just hate his whining and crying, and we're talking about the Colts. The Colts have made a big commitment to Carson Wentz, a big commitment. Whatever you want to say, unless it's a catastrophe, he's going to cost them a number one pick. That's a big freaking deal for a quarterback that, quite frankly, there was speculation last year, could the Eagles get out from under the contract. Think about this. Jared Goff, they say, oh, Jared Goff, he's, was, he was perceived to be good, but he was bad the first year under that coach. He doesn't know any offense. But then the boy genius came in, and he was good. He made it to the Super Bowl, but now he's not so good. Let's ship him off to the lines. And it cost a number one pick. Literally, the Rams had to add an extra number one pick to take Jared Goff. Like I said, you bring cookies. Like, it's like the cousin across the street. And the parents want to have a little fun by themselves. They send the cousin across the street to the aunts and uncles or whatever, and they give like a, a dozen cookies. That's when he comes to get in the door. That's what they had to do with Jared Goff. But Carson Wentz, who's often lumped in as, oh, they signed him too early. What a catastrophe. They get likely, based on the contingencies, a number one pick. How many games does he play? And they got, a, what was it, like a third otherwise? It was like two picks, and the second one's either a second or first based on how much he plays. So to put Jared Goff and Carson Wentz in the same category is absurd. Wentz got them back multiple picks, probably in number one, and Jared Goff cost them. So there's a lot of appreciation with Frank Reich for Carson Wentz, and obviously they were together the year that the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I think it's too much optimism, and this start of the season might show you how Carson Wentz responds to trouble. They start versus Seattle, then versus the Rams, then at Tennessee, then at Miami. So you could make the case. I mean, an 0-4 wouldn't be likely, but very possible. And just and if you're driving, don't do this, but close your eyes for a second and think about an 0 4 Carson Wentz. And that face could be interesting, Jones. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned uh, at Miami, and it's one of the. A lot of people talk about the mile high advantage in Denver, but one of the ones that doesn't get a lot of attention as far as home field advantages go is the humidity in Florida, especially early in the year, to where teams are just drained when they go and they play in in Miami or in Jacksonville, but in particular Miami early in the season seems to always be an issue, and they draw them the fourth week. 
Oh, no, that, that's a great point. And, and we talked about this yesterday, which is you want to see which Southern teams are hosting early, and then you want to see what Northern teams are hosting late. Another geographic factor, another topological, maybe, factor <laughs> is in Denver. I don't know about that. But Denver, in the beginning of the season, the first two games – when they play at home, they have an outstanding record over decades and decades and decades. Why? Pretty simple. The altitude is a big deal for teams that are yet to be in full season shape. You know, they're out of training camp, they're in good shape, but not quite the shape they'll be in week five or six. That's those early season games in Denver have a massive historic win percentage for Denver. This year, though, not a single game in the first two at home. They're at the Giants and at Jacksonville to start, so they're missing out on that early in Denver advantage. And Denver knows about it as well, too, because uh, Chris Harris, when he was a member of the Bron- Broncos, he was a cornerback there. Uh, he joined Fox Sports Radio. He came on as a guest after a game. It was a late game against the Cowboys. And I asked him specifically, do you guys realize the advantage you have early in the season? He said 100%. He goes, we can tell players are not they're not up to speed cardio wise they can't deal with the altitude early on in the in the season and they game plan for it knowing that that advantage that they have now when did you ask this it was after a game. It was an early season game in which they beat the Cowboys a couple of years ago. Oh, cool! And 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 I wanted because I had heard about that and the fact that they know that and they use that to their advantage just shows you the success that they've had. I'll tell you something. A lot of quote unquote sharps will kind of laugh at oh. You watch that TV show or listen to that radio show, and I'm not talking about our show that's gambling focused. Though again, they're going to laugh at any. You know, these are sardonic people that like to, you know, always look down their nose, generally. But I'm talking just a normal show. And to me, if you enjoy a normal show and listen closely, especially when they have athletes on, and and I'll be candid, most of the time, athlete interviews are. I don't enjoy that generally, they bore me generally. But if you listen closely, you will get that kind of insight. It was funny, not that long ago I was listening and they were talking about how certain European players have a real vendetta. Like it's like some kind of long feud with other European players in, in the NBA. And, we, and we've done a study and it's really interesting how certain guys will play extra hard and take extra shots against other guys. Because like there's something, you know, the, the Greek guy versus the Turkish guy or whatever right. it is. And, and, and I would have never thought of that until I heard that and we did the research. So it really, and Jonas is back to the great, great, great situation with um, Cousins that you did some reading years ago and saw he was a guy that loved routine. We yeah. did some research when he doesn't play at one o'clock, he doesn't do near as well. That's the way to get this stuff. You're just consuming all the info, and then you do the research once you have an idea. Yeah, they're creatures of habit. I, I thought it was interesting. I heard an interview with Brian Urlacher a couple of years ago, and he said he hated primetime games. He just wanted to play at noon central time every single week. He didn't like primetime games. He didn't, it, For whatever reason, his body just didn't adjust to it. I haven't gone back to look at his numbers in those primetime games, but I've always wondered how much different his, his play was quality-wise when he wasn't playing at noon central time be sure to catch live editions of straight out of vegas weekdays at 6 p.m eastern 3 p.m pacific 
Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Jonas Knox. We are straight out of Vegas. If you're a batter and it's someone has over-unders on them, you can just know about that player. With a guy like Erlacher, man, maybe you go against the defense, you know, go over the other team. So there's different ways, if there are edges here, to exploit it. Obviously, the quarterback is key. The Miami start isn't easy either. The Dolphins start not easy. At the Patriots versus the Bills. At the Raiders, okay, versus the Colts. So pretty, you know, Tua, a lot of question marks. A lot of question marks. It'll be easy to see, or it'll be interesting to see how he does. A few other factors here. Uh, The Raiders, and it comes to the short weeks. Uh, The Raiders have the most number of games in which you're playing on a short week. And I think that's important to think about, and especially if you're home or away. Because if you're home and it's a short week, it's actually an advantage. Thursday home teams have an advantage. Road teams on Thursday, big disadvantage. London is the question. Is London is a disadvantage. And I know historically teams have taken buys off of London. Jonas, did you look? I didn't look at that one yet. Is it all teams taking buys off of London this year? I have not looked. I'm, I'll look into that, though. Mackenzie, take a gander check. at that. Yeah. Uh, because that's a big factor, because we've yeah. had teams testing not doing that, and I think it's important. You, when you hear teams after the fact, and the season's over, and they'll talk about how important that late-season bye was. And that is, now, with 17 games, it's going to be even more important, is where's that bye? A late-season bye is a big advantage, an early season buy is not because you don't need It's almost like you're going on a road trip. Imagine you're driving for 10 hours and dad says, we're going to stop once. You don't want to stop after 45 minutes. Right? <laughs> you want to stop after you're like, you're in your seat. You can't, you're, you're squirming. That's the late season gets you ready for the playoffs. It does bring up another point, which is the Patriots and how they've always used September as an extended preseason. Why? Because they wanted to win in January with one extra game. I think that kind of grooving into the season, doing everything they can to win except not sacrificing for the future. Meaning, if I told you your team could improve their chance to win by 5% in a given game in September, but they would hurt themselves by 5% in January, what are you going to choose? Obviously, you want your team to win in the playoffs. What kind of scenario would that be? Imagine there's a young left tackle. And you think, un- undoubtedly, once he gets eight games under his belt, he's going to be better than the veteran. But the first eight games, he's going to be worse. When do you play him? Do you play him right away or do you wait? If a coach has his job on the line, he probably plays the veteran. If the coach is Belichick or others with that vision of the future of the playoffs and with equity within his team – they probably play the, the, the young player now. There's a lot of little decisions like that, though the Patriots are by far the team that looks forward the most. 
Jonas, did you happen to notice the Kansas City Chiefs? They've got a stretch late in the year that looks like uh, Roger Goodell must own part of the team. Yeah, I, I haven't. I looked at that late in the Chiefs. One last thought I had uh, before oh. the Chiefs that I thought you might find interesting on the Patriots. They're the only team in the NFL that's going to be playing three teams coming off a bye. And, that's a um, big deal. And, and Seth Walder of ESPN actually had a stat that uh, total New England this season in comparison to other teams are going to have 15 fewer rest days than their opponents. So I, I don't know if that factors in, especially how Huge. hard they practice. That could be a big impact later on in the season also. So you're saying if you add up the rest days of their opponents, so each bye would be an additional like six, you know, in theory, another seven days, right? Yeah, a big so chunk a whole of that, week. yeah. Yeah, so if anything, it sounds like they got advanced. Well, every team's playing one team that is off a bye at least, I think. So that's interesting because it seems like they've been kind of advantageous to them except for those bye games. Huh. And they've so, got that, the late bye week, which is week 14. We saw that work advantage. for Tampa, yeah, Tampa Bay last year. We, we mentioned it. The, the second half of the game against the Chiefs going into the bye, and then the rest of the way, all the way through the playoffs, uh, Tampa Bay didn't lose a game. Like they, they were the best team in football. No doubt. And it's interesting, too, that when a team does have a late bye like the Patriots, it is an advantage in the playoffs if they make it. But it's a disadvantage week 12, like in this case, week 12 or week 13, because they're limping in. And the Steelers, not to be a homer here, but the Steelers lost their bye because of the Titans playing touch football or whatever (laughs) at a picnic, and whatever that was. And I think it was a huge deal. Pittsburgh was tired at the end of the year. No, Hey, no excuses, but there was a pretty valid excuse. By the way, we're going to see what's trending. First, though, Four teams traveling to London. Three of the four have buys afterwards. So the Falcons play the Jets. They both have buys. Dolphins against the Jags. The Jags have a buy, but Miami hosts Atlanta after. My my understanding is they ask for that. Yeah. So there's a theory here, and it's a forward-thinking coach with Flores. There's a sense of maybe, hey, a buy isn't necessary. When there wasn't buys after, it wasn't good, as I recall, for that team's results. Because think about it, you're going all the way over there, you got the pomp and circumstance in yeah. London, you come back, and then you're right into a week of playing again? Ooh, I don't know. But Miami, I guess, is coming a little cl- I guess that's closer to some degree, right? Yeah, I think Being it's five hours. Because it, yeah. I think New York to London is five hours, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I would assume Miami is pretty similar.